Well, it truly is an honour to be here, as has just been mentioned. I worked for Compassion for a number of years, but I've also, uh, from time to time, worked for Sunshine. Uh, in fact, uh, most of my working career has, has been with Sunshine. I very much enjoyed my nine years at Compassion, but earlier this year made the switch back to, to working at Sunshine, working in radio, so really pleased to be here today. But I want to spend some time to, to open up the Word with you today, but also I, I want to be able to tell you a little bit about Sunshine. So let's go on a bit of a journey together, because I want to ask you this question. What was your neighbourhood like when you were growing up? What was it like in your neighbourhood? Because I can tell you a little bit about mine. I, I remember growing up in a, a street in Scarborough, before you needed to be a millionaire to live there, we were in this little asbestos uh, three-by-one, which was then turned into a four-by-one. So there was mum, dad, five kids, seven of us all fighting for the, the one bathroom, the one toilet. That's how it was. But the neighbourhood was very interesting in that there was the, the Browns on one side, the, the Johnsons on the other. Across the road, there were the, the Rainers, there were the Greenfields, the Clays. Up the road a bit, there were, were others. And I remember there was Mrs. Robinson who lived a, a few houses up. And she actually started inviting a lot of the people within the, the street to, to go along to church and to, to Christian events. And actually, my mum was one of those that she invited along to church. That's where my mum got saved, at, at Scarborough Baptist Church. And that explains why I'm here, because someone in the neighbourhood said, I need to be amongst the neighbourhood, I need to be sharing Jesus. Um, and so that's what neighbourhood looked like back then. It, it was a very different time, and I'm wondering what your neighbourhood was like when you grew up. Some of you will remember times like that, where I would come home sometimes after school, and if mum wasn't there, then she's likely uh, at the neighbour's place having a cuppa, so I could visit her there. Um, and, and that's just how it was, like we're celebrating Christmas. I remember Christmas days of, of opening gifts and then you'd wander out into the street and all the other kids in the street were out there as well, all comparing, this is what we got for Christmas. Now, neighbourhood has changed a lot and so most of the time people turn up in their, their driveway and they'll open the garage door, go in, shut the garage door and, and then they don't see people. Um, unless you have a 25-year-old son who uses all of our garage space uh, for all his stuff, but that's another story completely. But, but neighbourhood has changed, times have changed, but I wonder if that changes the way in which we view Scripture and our call to neighbourhood. Um, so I'm asking the question, who is my neighbour? Who is our neighbour and what does Scripture require of us in relation to our neighbour? In Mark, we read this passage from Mark 12, 28 to 34. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing and, uh, with, it, with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we see here that we've got this greatest commandment that has a lot to do with throwing everything we have at loving God. That first and foremost, we're throwing our heart, soul, mind and strength into loving God and then loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. And this is the great commandment. It's really a a distilling of the Ten Commandments because in the Ten Commandments, we see that there are instructions of how we interact and how we love God and there are other instructions of how we interact and love others and even ourselves. So really, when it comes down to it, these phrases are about distilling the Ten Commandments And, and for me, that makes the Ten Commandments enormously freeing. Because sometimes we tend to look at the Ten Commandments as a list of rules. Do this, don't do that. And it can be constrictive. But what it actually means is if we're told to throw everything we have at loving God and then we love our neighbour as we love ourselves, we've got guidelines. What does this love actually mean? So we can look to the Ten Commandments and say, aha, now I get a picture of it. So it's actually really helpful in that way. But all ten come together in this instruction to first and foremost throw everything we have at loving God and then to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. But then we ask that question, who is the neighbour that we need to love as we love ourselves? What if our neighbour is someone who's difficult to love? What if my neighbour is someone that I disagree with? Is that the neighbour that I'm called to to love as I love myself? What if my neighbour is different to me? What if my neighbour is even antagonistic toward me? What if my neighbour says something on Facebook that I don't like or don't agree with? Is that still a neighbour that I have to love? What if my neighbour is living a lifestyle that I think is wrong? What does love mean towards that person? How do we love that neighbour? How does love show itself in all these situations? I actually read a very challenging book a couple of years ago. I'm going to share a few bits and pieces out of that today. It's called The Art of Neighbouring, and it's by Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak. And you can tell that they're American because they forgot to put the O in neighbouring. But they talk about the the way that we've extended the definition of neighbours to generally include everyone. And in some ways, it means that there's no intentionality about how we show love. And we know that when we look at the... The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus pretty much says that anyone that I bring across your path is your neighbour and you are called to love them. But what if it also means our actual neighbour, the neighbour who lives next door, the neighbour that we spend time with every day at work? If it's the people at the shopping centre, those people that are around us, what if it means those neighbours too? Because when we just reduce it to this love everyone, have good feelings towards everyone, then it actually means that there's no action in it for us. There's no intentionality in how we love our neighbour. So what if it does mean the people just around the corner from us? The, The book has a quote that I think is both very challenging, but also incredibly helpful. And they say, if we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we turn the great commandment into nothing more than a metaphor. We have a metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbours, 
And our communities are changed, but only metaphorically, of course. In other words, nothing changes. So we need to take note that, yes, our neighbourhood does stretch far and wide, but also we can't ignore that there are neighbours that we encounter every day and we are called to show them love. In fact, the same love that we have for ourselves. And I would say the kind of love that we have for ourselves is that we make sure that we're well cared for, that we have all that we need, that we have food, that we have shelter, all these sorts of things. But we also know that we are in relationship with the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. We know that that's pretty much more important than all these other things. So if we love ourselves enough to nurture that relationship... What does loving our neighbour as we love ourselves mean in that regard? Shouldn't we also be sharing that love with our neighbour? Us Christians are really good at cliches and that's not a bad thing. Cliches are just those words that mean something and we say them so often that it becomes just part of what we say. And we often say at Christmas time that the greatest gift of all is Jesus. Well, don't we want our neighbours to have the greatest gift of all this Christmas? We know that loving God means that we spend time with him. We, we gather together on Sundays and maybe throughout the week. We also we spend time reading God's word. We, we come together, we worship together. We sing praises to God. We give financially. These are just some of the things that we do. And these are not to try and drum up love or, or to sort of pay God off. These are an expression of the love that we have, the love that he first poured into us. So because he's first poured that love into us, we say, I need to express that somehow. I need to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and I need to do something about it. I need to spend time in the word because I want to get to know this God even better. And so if we're doing this, if these are the intentional things that we do to throw everything we have at loving God, then we need to do some intentional things to actually love our neighbour. So I find it even more pointedly that This book says, do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those around me? And if not, are all the things I'm doing more important than taking the great commandment literally? That's got a sting in it. Because we do need to be intentional about loving those around us. And what are the the concrete ways that we should be living in this way, to to love our neighbours as we love ourselves? Well, firstly, we need to be present where our neighbours are present. We need to be where they are. Look at Jesus when he was on earth. He, he actually took time to be around people that needed to hear of his love. In fact, he, he went to parties, he hung out with people so much so that he was criticised for it. We read in Luke about the time that he actually encountered Matthew for the first time or, or Levi as he was known at the time. And it says... After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus is hanging out with the people who need him most. And he's criticised for it. 
In fact, I love the fact that the, the Pharisees and scribes, they go and grumble to his disciples as if, oh, we're not going to tell him about it, but, and, and it's Jesus that comes over and gives the answer. It's like, look, I know what you're up to, but let me say this. I'm here to call these people to repentance. And in the, the book, The Art of Neighbouring, I love how the authors actually say, recognising the sort of people that were at this party, at, at Matthew's party, at Levi's party, it was very unlikely to be a Mountain Dew and pizza kind of party. This was likely to be quite a, a raucous party, the sorts of people that were there. And Jesus would have known that eating with other people would have signified something deeper than just having a meal. You see, we know that when we go to someone's house for a meal or we invite some other people over to our house for a meal, it signifies something, it signifies a friendship. Because you don't just go out and, and a, at a casual acquaintance and say, yeah, eat, eating at our place tonight. It, it signifies something deeper than that. And even more so in Jesus' time, there, there's this bond that it signified. And so Jesus would have known that and he would have known the signals that it would have sent as he goes to these sorts of parties, and people would have thought, why is he eating with sinners? And when we read the text, we realise that Jesus wasn't standing in the corner with his notebook, noting all the sins, so that he could call them out. It says they were reclined at the table together. There's this sense of familiarity, that he's entering in and he's being there with these people. He's wanting to get to know them better. He's wanting to call them to a, a life that is so much bigger than what they could have imagined. We also hear about, in the scripture, about Zacchaeus. When, when he wanted to just see Jesus, there was a big crowd, and Zacchaeus says, look, I'm only a short guy, so I'm going to climb up a tree just so I can catch a glimpse. And that gives us two ideas. One, that he is a short guy and he's not going to see over the crowd, but also it's a big crowd. If he hears that Jesus is coming down the road and he has to climb a tree to see him, then there's quite a lot of people around. And of course, Zacchaeus is another one of these people that's been ripping everyone off. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't just... <laughs> Zacchaeus doesn't just get a glimpse, but Jesus comes up to the tree and he says, come down, we're going to your place, I'm staying there, we're going to eat together. And I wonder what the people in the crowd would have thought. Because again, they would have understand that this signifies, I want to form a bond with you, I want to form a friendship with you. And a lot of those people in the crowd would have been the same people that Zacchaeus had been ripping off. Imagine the mixed messages that they would have got out of that. This is why people were grumbling with the sorts of people that Jesus was hanging out with. But he goes to his home. And Zacchaeus has an incredible life transformation. Jesus doesn't just leave him there and say, well, everything's fine, we, we've had a meal, that was great. He actually calls him to repentance and Zacchaeus says, I'm paying everything back. There was an incredible life transformation because Jesus says, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to be at your place today. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to signify that there's a friendship, that there's a bond between us. And then we have a look at so who is it that's been making these accusations? When we read the scriptures, who's making the accusations that Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people? And we see that it's the, the religious leaders or rule makers of the times, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're saying there's a, there's a them and an us. There are those of us who keep a moral code. There are those who don't. And we don't mix with those who don't. They are to be shunned. We're not to hang out with them. 
We're on the winning side. They're the people we shouldn't associate with. So let me say this to you. If you've ever felt this way, if you've ever looked down on by those, especially that purport to be religious leaders, especially those within, within a church setting, I'm desperately sorry. That is not Jesus' intent. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to radically transform your life into something that you could never imagine it. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to, to give you a transformed life just as he did for Zacchaeus, just as he did for, for Matthew. Because when it comes down to it, we're not told there's an us and a them, love the us. We're simply told to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. There's no caveats on that. And in a time where there can be even greater division between what those of us who are Jesus followers understand about the world and what the rest of the world believe about the world, there is a greater divide. How much more do we have to be intentional as Christ followers to bring others to know him? Of course, it doesn't mean that we minimise sin. And I think that this is the issue. The Pharisees and scribes are thinking, well, if you hang out with those sort of people, that's what we're going to associate you with and, and you're just as bad as them. And so often as Christians, we can be so scared to hang out with others because, oh, people will think that I'm endorsing that lifestyle or, or that sin doesn't matter to me. And yet the scripture doesn't talk about that. It says we're not to minimise sin at all. Sin's a very real issue that needs to be dealt with. That's why Jesus was prepared to, to go to the cross. It needed to be dealt with. But just because we see the sin of others doesn't mean that we push them out because let's face it, they're going to see our sin too. The difference is we get to point them to the one who died in our place to cancel our sin. That's... That's amazing. We have been lovingly drawn to Jesus who was crucified, raised again from the dead and invites us to be reconciled to him. I love the way that Ray Pritchard puts it in his book, In the Shadow of the Cross. He says, please don't be afraid to be a friend to someone who's living in sin. They need you more than those of us who are no longer in pain. Nobody wants to suffer like sinners suffer. They just need God and God must use us to reach them. They are spiritually blind and we have to help them see. To quote my favourite song, which seems so very appropriate and which in one sentence certainly sums up what has happened since I came to Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, he's saying we've been reconciled to God and that's not because we're good. It's not through anything we've done, it's because God is so, so very good. We have no more claim to God's love than our unbelieving neighbours. The only good thing about us is what Jesus has done for us. It's only that God sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, that we have any claim to his kingdom. We want others to know that kind of love too. We want others to be reconciled back to the Father through Jesus Christ. Ed Stetzer wrote in his book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, we don't see our own sin and need for a saviour and thus we place ourselves in the seat of judge and jury. 
that steals God's glory, robs us of joy and shipwrecks our mission to the world. Now that is disgusting. Sounds like the Pharisees and scribes, doesn't it? But so easily it can become us and we don't want that. Stetzer goes on to say, we do not need to sacrifice our revulsion of sin, but rather reframe how we see those who are caught in its power. We know the corrosive yet alluring power of sin that entangles this world, and we know the freedom and relief that comes from being reconciled to the Father. We need to use that understanding to demonstrate an empathetic love to the lost, ensuring that they know they can approach us with confidence, that they will receive the mercy and grace that was first shown to us isn't that beautiful isn't that wonderful that we get to take that to others that that same mercy and grace that was shown to us we get to be agents of that for other people isn't that the sort of love that we want to be showing to our neighbors as we love our neighbors as we love ourselves imagine taking that kind of love to them i was challenged recently the the pastor at the church that my wife and i attend um, said that, you know, he's, he's been a pastor for a number of years, but he felt there was still something that was missing in that he wasn't reaching out and loving his neighbours. So he decided, how do I meet my neighbours? So I'm, I'm sort of caught up in this church world all week and then preaching on the weekend, what do I do? And so what he's actually started doing is putting on a coffee morning every couple of Saturdays, and it's him and, and some others in the neighbourhood and there's about 25 or 30 people in the neighbourhood just converge on their lawn and they, they have a coffee together. And it's a way of intentionally getting to know them with the intention further down the track to be able to share Christ with them. But first, getting to know who they are. How can we love our neighbours if we don't even know their names? So he's been doing that and they also, uh, he, he was driving along and he saw an old um, wood-fired pizza oven on the side of the road with a, you know, the rubbish collections and he thought, I'll have that. So he, he took that home and, and they revamped it and then one Saturday night they decided, let's have a pizza night and invite all the neighbours and they had about 90 people show up for that. Because so often we, we get intimidated by this whole thing of connecting with neighbours and showing them the love that we should be showing them. And we think, I've, I've got to learn how to go through the, this many spiritual laws and, and, and tell this story and that story. And so often it's just the witness of who we are. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we need to, first of all, get to know our neighbours. So taking those sorts of steps to know who these people are and to then show them the love that flows out of us because it first flowed into us from God. Loving our neighbours as we love ourselves should create an urgency in us to tell others about Jesus. And we make it so complicated that we stand back from it. And yet the first thing is just getting to know them. Instead of the, the wave as we pull out of our driveway, how about a high? And, and maybe this Christmas season isn't a great opportunity for that, to, to, to fill out a card and drop it in their letterbox or to, to drop it to their door. Invite them to the carols that is coming up just to start to get to know people so that you have that opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them. First, get to know them. That's a great opportunity. Who's heard of uh, The Magician's Pen and Teller? A few people. They have that show, um, Foolish, where... Uh, I mean, they've, they've been doing shows in Vegas for years, but they have this, this show called Foolish where you go along and you try a magic trick, and if you fool them, then you get to join them on stage in Vegas... And, and you do your magic there. Well, 
Uh, Penn Gillette, who is one half of Penn and Teller, he's the incredibly tall half of Penn and Teller, uh, he's, he's an, a, a devout atheist. He says God does not exist. He does not believe for a moment that there is a God. And yet, a number of years ago after a show, there, there was a Christian who went backstage with a, uh, from what he said, um, it seemed like a, the, a Gideon's New Testament, because it was New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs, and he handed it to, to Penn and said, I, I really want you to have this, and he was really earnest in, in what he was saying. Now, you would imagine that an atheist would say, well, I don't want to know about this God because I don't even believe he exists. And yet that's not what he said. He created a, a, just a, a video straight to his phone and, and published it online, talking about it. Now, this is an atheist talking, so the, the language may be a little bit different, but he talks not about witnessing, but about proselytizing. But this is what Pendulette, an atheist, said about sharing Jesus with others. I've always said that I, or, or part, of, part of that video, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward uh, and, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytise and who just say, leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I wonder what getting to know your neighbours might look like for you. I've already got a few clues and you've got great opportunities here. I know that uh, because... We promoted on air at Sunshine that you, you have events for men uh, from time to time here, inviting them in. Well, make sure it's not just you church guys getting together. The carols are coming up. What a great opportunity to invite people who wouldn't normally step through the doors of a church to just hear that message, to hear it in a new way at their carols. I do want to take a few moments to, to talk to you about Sunshine and, and how we continue to take up the challenge of loving our neighbours as we love ourselves, and how we do that with action. You see, the vision of Sunshine is clear. It is to engage the people of Western Australia with the positive message of hope in Jesus Christ. And we do that not just here in Perth or in Western Australia, but it's happening right around the world through ministries that we partner with and give platform to. So, for instance, through CBM, uh, formerly known as Christian Blind Mission, um, our listeners have provided thousands of eye operations for people in developing countries, giving them back the gift of sight and giving them the reason behind people do this for them as well. Through our partnership with another Christian organisation, Water for Africa, in just the last two years, over 60,000 lives have changed because those people in Africa now have clean drinking water available. And they get to know that this comes from people who love Jesus. Over the many years that Sunshine partnered with Samaritan's Purse and their Operation Christmas Child, up around 100,000 shoeboxes were filled and sent. And that means that that was to those children, but their wider family get to hear about it as well. Their siblings, their parents, the whole area, 
So there's way more than that 100,000. And if you know anything about the way that Samaritan's Purse works, the gospel always goes out with it as well. So all these people are hearing about Jesus because people listening to Sunshine say, we need to get behind that as well. That's how we intend to, to continue to love our neighbour. Through compassion, there have been hundreds and hundreds of children through the appeals on air that have been sponsored. And we know that through compassion, this is growing these children up to be the Christian leaders of tomorrow in their area. Closer to home, tens of thousands have received sleeping bags, toiletries and other items that have helped restore their dignity thanks to our annual Heart for the Homeless appeal. In fact, just this year, uh, there was over 10,000 items that were, were sent out to, to the homeless. Now, let me say here, this is not to say, isn't sunshine wonderful? This is to say, God is choosing to use sunshine, but our God is good. Our God is good. Our God chooses to use sunshine. Not sunshine is amazing, but God is amazing. And this, this is all about pointing to hope. As we say, the positive message of hope in Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the hope that we're wanting to share with people. And we want to point people to a biblical hope. Because hope so often is used as this kind of a wishing. So if someone says, oh... I hope I keep my job. It might be because we've heard rumours that my job isn't secure or I hope the kids do well at school. It might be because they've been having some struggles in that way. Or if we say, oh, I hope the interest rates don't go up again, it's because, you know what, I'm almost at breaking point already. That's the, the way that the world uses hope. Or I might say, I, I hope the West Coast Eagles start playing well. Again, no, it, it may not happen. But that's how the world uses hope. But biblical hope is different. And I love the way that John Piper puts it. He says, Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty in it. When the word says, hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. So when we're telling people on air we're wanting to share hope with them, they think, oh yeah, I just need to think that things might get better. And we're saying, no, we want you to have the certainty of a life, of an eternity with Christ. That's the hope that we're wanting to share. Our on-air team shares the ups and downs of life. They're always pointing to that living hope in, in Jesus. And whether they're having fun and just messing around on air or whether they're talking about something more serious, they are Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so whatever they share, in fun or in seriousness, actually comes from that Christian worldview that draws people closer to Him. And the results speak for themselves. I want to share just a few testimonies this morning. Again, this is not to say sunshine is great. This is to say our God is great and will use things that we offer to him. So from Robert, who says, In December 2020, my wife passed away. We were married for 65 years. She is my other half. It's been a really hard time, for I've lost half of myself. I'm a Christian, and I regularly receive devotionals in my emails, but it's nothing like hearing the word of God and encouragement from someone's voice. I really enjoy your short messages on Sundays. Thank you for what you do. Or this one. 
I had no idea about sunshine at that time. I wasn't sure where I was and what I believed, but I bought a car and I turned on the radio and as I drove it away, sunshine was on. I don't know who had put it on. I have a sneaking suspicion. It was from a dealer and from then on, I was hooked and you contributed to saving my life. Or this, in this era of doom and gloom, I just think it's so refreshing to have a radio station that exudes joy, love, happiness, all the fruits of the Spirit. You guys have a lot of fun. The messages you give are sincere and loving. I just love the way that it's presented. I'm a Christian and I just thank you for the affirmation day in and day out, especially the word, so thank you. And then this one that always breaks my heart. Ten years ago, I discovered Sunshine late one night. I heard a song over and over for a week. I heard it all different times of the day. It seemed to be on every time I tuned in. The video clip is about domestic violence. It pretty much summed up what I was living. It resonated so deeply, I had the courage to end that relationship soon after. For the last 10 years, I've listened to your radio station at all different times of the day and night, and I've never heard it played once, not once, since that week 10 years ago. Profound turning moment in my life. I found God, and he is so good. So let me just say, if you believe that there is a living hope that needs to be shared with people in your community, you can be part of what Sunshine is doing as one of the ways in which you can reach out with love to your neighbour. You can get involved by praying. We have a team of dedicated people who pray through the prayer notes that we regularly send out. It's interesting that whilst the, the radio station has been on air for almost 36 years now, 30 years before that, people started to pray. And that's a constant challenge to me. How many of us would pray for 30 years before we actually saw evidence of what God was calling us to? Some of us would pray for, for five years, maybe five months or five weeks, before we say, did I hear God right? And yet these men and women prayed for 30 years before sunshine came into existence. You can be involved by giving financially, either a one-off gift or join our family partners who give a gift each month. And that might be $30 a month, it might be $300 a month, that's up to you. If you run or manage a business, you can consider business sponsorship. That way, you're actually promoting your business at the same time as investing in the, the ministry and mission of Sunshine. Or maybe you want to be a bit more hands-on with your involvement. We're always looking for volunteers across a wide school range. And uh, many of you would have received one of these on your way in. It's got a, a QR code on, you can zap that and that'll take you to a website that gives you those options. Uh, if you didn't grab one, then come and talk to me at the table afterwards and um, we can get you to that website so you can be involved if, if you choose to be involved with the work that Sunshine is doing. But let me bring it back to that question. Who is my neighbour? And can I encourage you to ask yourself that question today. Who is my neighbour? Who is it that God is bringing across my path that I, I haven't been loving as I should? And I've got to say that I, I preach this message to myself as well. I do know the names of a lot of the people in my neighbourhood, but I don't know them that well. And I'm taking active steps to, to get to know them better so that I do have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Ask God to show you neighbours that you can love. Ask God for the opportunities to hang out with those who may lead very different lifestyles to you, but who desperately need to hear that Jesus loves them so much that he died in their place. Let's take seriously this, this great commandment to throw everything we have at loving God. 
in everything we do, first and foremost, that we throw everything we have at loving God. Our heart, soul, mind, our strength. And that we love our neighbours as we love ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you call us to be about your business. Even though we mess it up so often. Even though we might feel that we need more boldness to do that. We would pray that you would give us that boldness. Lord, I would ask that names start dropping into our mind even now of those that you're calling us to reach out to, those round about us, those neighbours who live side by side, those people at work that we need to share your love with, those people that we, we meet at the shopping centre when we're about doing our business. Father, would you reveal those names to us? And then give us the steps that we can take. Help us to pray each day that you would give us opportunity and then help us to be obedient to your call, to throw everything we have at loving you and then to love our neighbours as we love ourselves, especially as we come into this Christmas season. That you sent your son is such good news. Help us to share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.